0: In the lord i am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances that he may encourage your hearts he is coming with onesimus our faithful and dear brother who is one of you they will tell you everything that has happened here my fellow prisoner aristarchus sends his greetings as does mark the cousin of barnabas you have received instructions about him If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you, and for those at Laodicea in Areopolis. our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas who sends greetings, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea, and to Nympha and the church at her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it that it is also read in the church of Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. That is the word of the Lord. When we come to a list of names in Scripture and Paul offering a number of brief greetings to them as he concludes his letter to the church in Colossae, at times it's easy just to glance over them and to miss out on what Paul's doing. As he lists the people that are here in this greeting, he's offering us some insight into those that are there with him, those that are carrying the letter back, those that have been ministering to him, those he's been ministering to. And it's important as we come to these concluding remarks that we note some of the people that are there. Now, I realize it's so easy to have your eyes just kind of glaze over at a list of names, at our family devotion the other evening, we were there, we were all sitting around talking. We have gotten into, well, we're past this now, but we were talking about Joseph and the, you know, the multicolored coat that his father had given him. We were talking about Pharaoh and the house of Pharaoh and Joseph interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. And then we began to talk about how then there was a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph and that, that Pharaoh had forgotten Joseph. And Abby sitting at the table was like, whoa, 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 there's more than one Pharaoh I'm like, yeah, there's multiple pharaohs in the Bible. She thought, I thought pharaoh just lived a long time, and the same pharaoh with Joseph was there with Moses. I'm like, man, has Derek not been teaching you well? I'm kidding. I'm like, no, that's not at all. Pharaoh's a title, just like prime minister, just like president. Pharaoh is a title, and so there's multiple pharaohs. In fact, I said most likely the pharaoh that was pharaoh when, when his daughter, pharaoh's daughter, found Moses in the Nile and in essence became his step-grandfather, that that Pharaoh would be a different Pharaoh than the Pharaoh Moses goes back to years later. That Pharaoh is likely either his step-brother or his nephew, his step-nephew. And so there's multiple Pharaohs in the Bible. And so it's easy to see the list of names and get really confused. In fact, we began to talk about how in the New Testament. There are various Caesars. There are a number of Caesars in the Bible. I began to Name a number of Caesars. And Abby was like, oh, like I talked about Caesar Agrippa and Caesar, anyway, and she was like, and Caesar salad. I was like, no, that's very different, very different. But it's easy as we list these names and see them to just have our eyes gloss over. So for a few minutes, let me walk you through who some of these people are, why they're important to the ministry of Paul, the apostle, where else we may find them in Scripture and then offer some remarks. Tychicus is actually found a number of times in Scripture. He's found in Acts 20, verse 4. He's part of Paul's missionary journey from Macedonia to Jerusalem. He joins him there. We find him in Ephesians 6, verse 21 and 22, in Titus 3, verse 12, and in 2 Timothy 4, 12 as well. So we find him in a number of references in the New Testament. Paul says a few things about him. He says, he's going to tell you the news about me. That means that he's been with him. And we find that he's been with him on a number of occasions, that this man has been a faithful companion to Paul. Notice he calls him a dear brother. He sees him as not only a brother in the Lord, but someone who has a companion is essential. He's a faithful minister. He's someone who's ministering faithfully alongside him. He's also a fellow servant, or you could translate fellow slave in the Lord. And so he uses these three terms, dear brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord, to express how he feels about Tychicus, And what it means that he and Tychicus have been ministering together. He says, I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances. He says, he's bringing this letter and he's going to tell you what's been going on about me, the apostle. And I want him to encourage your hearts. The news he's bringing will grant you encouragement. This might be similar to the book of Philippians where Paul talks about how they've imprisoned him. And yet the whole palace guard and everyone else knows that he's in chains for Christ. I have said this before when I preached through that passage in Philippians, but you put someone in prison typically for two reasons. The first is to stop them from doing what they're doing. If they're a drug dealer, you're stopping them from dealing drugs. If they're a thief, you're stopping them from breaking in and stealing things. You are stopping them from doing what they're doing. The second reason you throw someone into jail is to discourage other people from doing it. Drug dealers or the thieves see that they could also go to jail for doing the same things. It's often a deterrent, a discouragement. But Paul, who's thrown into prison in the book of Philippians for sharing the gospel, for preaching and declaring Christ as a resurrected one, Paul says, I want you to know that everyone else here knows that I'm in chains for Christ. And it's made its way up to the whole palace guard. In fact, at the end of, of the book of Philippians, Paul gives greetings from Caesar's household. Which means what? That the gospel has made its way up through the palace guard while he's in prison because Paul just simply saw that he had a new audience. It made its way up, the gospel, through the palace guard into the house of Caesar. And some of those very people in the house of Caesar are now gathering, as Paul was writing the letter to Philippians, and they're gathering with the church in Rome. And as they're gathering with the church in Rome, Paul's saying, they send their greetings too. Because the gospel is unstoppable. And so here he says, when Tychicus comes, he's going to actually offer you words that are going to encourage your heart, even though I'm in chains. Even though I'm in chains. He's coming with Onesimus, who's our faithful and dear brother. He is one of you. And they will tell you everything that is happening here. Onesimus is the slave of which the book of Philemon is written. And so here, this slave is the slave of Philemon's, who's returning back. And so most likely, the letter carriers here are carrying both the letter or the epistle to the Colossians, as well as the letter to Philemon, which is why you find four of the names here also mentioned in the book of Philemon. And so Onesimus has come to faith in Christ in Rome, while Paul is there in prison preaching the gospel, and while he's come to faith in Christ, we don't know how they encountered each other, but we know that Onesimus came to faith in Christ under Paul's ministry. He's now bringing back this letter to Philemon, and as he's bringing back this letter to Philemon with Tychicus, they're most likely carrying both letters, both the letter of Colossians and the letter of Philemon that goes to the master of Onesimus. And as they're carrying back, Paul says, I want you to know that Onesimus, who is coming, is a faithful and dear brother. Some people think that he left out fellow servant because it can be translated fellow slave. And so he left that out because he deals with that whole issue in the book of Philemon. But he calls him again a faithful and dear brother, and they'll tell you everything. Then he mentions my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, Aristarchus. And Aristarchus is mentioned as a fellow prisoner. We find him in Acts 20, verse 4. He's also mentioned again in the book of Philemon. And so we find him mentioned a couple of times in Scripture other than here. The term fellow prisoner here is not um, categorized as fellow prisoner in the Lord or fellow servant with Christ. This term fellow prisoner likely means he's in jail with Paul, that he is serving with Paul in jail, and so he also sends greetings. And so he's there in jail with the apostle. Notice he mentions Mark. This is John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. This is John Mark, and notice what he says. If you've received instruction about him, if he comes, to you welcome him? In the book of Acts, we find Mark mentioned on a number of occasions. And in Acts 15, the apostle Paul and Barnabas have a falling out about Mark because Mark had abandoned them earlier on one of the mission journeys, he just left. And so as he abandoned him, Paul's like, he can't be trusted. We're not to bring him. Barnabas is like, he can be trusted. He needs a second chance. Paul's like, no. No, the missionary journey is too important. Paul leaves with a group. Barnabas and Mark leave with a group. And somehow, this is probably 15 years later, somewhere in there, there has been reconciliation. There's been some reconciliation. And Paul's saying, you know, if Mark comes, he is to be welcomed. And Mark was the traveling companion of Peter. Mark writes the Gospel of Mark on Peter's behalf. The Gospel of Mark is Peter's uh, 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 historicity or, or his recalling, guided by the Holy Spirit, of his walking with Jesus and what it meant that he encountered Christ. And it's written by Mark, who's the traveling companion of Peter. And so Mark plays an incredibly pivotal role in the Gospel And there was a falling out, and then there is reconciliation. Justice here is mentioned. Only time that justice is mentioned in Scripture. He had the name Jesus, very common name in the New Testament times. New Testament times, lots of young men would have been named Jesus. But now as Jesus is the resurrected one, he takes his other name, his other given name, Justice. He also sends greetings. And he says, these are, Mark, Uh, Aristarchus and Justice are the only Jews that are here with me. Uh, And they also send their greetings. They're co-workers for the kingdom. They've been a comfort. Epaphras, who we've already learned, is the one who planted the church here. So he's the one who established the church. We found that in the first chapter here. And he's also there with him. He's with Paul in Rome. And he says he also sends his greetings as a servant of Jesus Christ. And so we find that he is one who's also sending his greetings, having been mentioned earlier in the chapter, he's also mentioned in the book of Philemon. He then continues on as he talks about it, and he says of him, he's always wrestling with you in prayer, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. He says, I want you to know, he is a prayer warrior on your behalf, and he's working hard for you. I mean, they may be feeling like, well, he planted us and he abandoned us. He planted us and he left. He established his work, and he's gone. Paul's like, no, this man is working hard for you. In being here with me and ministering with me, he prays for you faithfully. When Wright passed away this year at just over 100 years of age. Wynne and Ken Wright were coming to the church when I had arrived here uh, 27 years ago. And when I had arrived here 27 years ago as a volunteer, their son Pete Wright was the pastor of this church. And Pete pastored this church for four years, and Ken and Wynne were here, and they were a wonderful, godly couple. They were the couple that was instrumental in planting what is now known as Compass Point. He was the board chair of Compass Point for over 30 years. And I just loved Ken and Wynne, right? They were a wonderful couple. And sometimes in my day, a little frightening, because he did not see very well, and her legs didn't work. And so she was often bound at first to either a cane or then eventually to a wheelchair. And she would joke and say, well, he is my legs and I am his eyes. And that was fine until he was driving his nine-seat passenger suburban out of the driveway backing up. And I would say, I'll guide you out. And she would say, it's fine. Even though he can't see, I can. I never felt that was fine as he was the driver. But as time went on and I would visit them, Amy and I would go and visit them. We would talk to them. Our kids would go and see them. Eventually, Wynne would say, as we said to her material, she would say, I want you to know, I labor in prayer for the church and my family five to six hours a day. That's what she would do. I would just gather, she said, "I I would just gather the material that you guys had given me, and I would just pray faithfully for the church and for my family for hours a day. That's something I've always valued, always appreciated, that someone would take the time every day to say, You know, there's nothing else I can do, but I can pray. pray. Isn't prayer the best thing anyone can do? We can't change anyone's heart. We can't save a soul. We can't alter someone's mind as it comes to the gospel. But God can by his Holy Spirit. And so we need to pray. And Paul says that though he's not with you, and maybe he's mentioning this and talking about his hard work, because those in Laodicea and in Areopolis, Colossae there, whose churches he's planted, feel like, man, He's really abandoned us. He's really left us. Paul's saying, no, he hasn't. He labors for you hard in prayer. He wrestles with you and he stands firm for you, that each of you would know the will of God and that you would be mature and fully assured of your faith. Next, he mentions Luke, the doctor. This is Luke who wrote both the gospel of Luke and who wrote uh, the book of Acts. So he mentions Luke here as a physician, where we get the reference of Luke being a physician from. That's so he talks about Luke, whom we know is a Gentile. He's not mentioned here among the Jews. Demas sends greetings as well. Demas, who's again mentioned in Philema, Philemon. is um, mentioned the church in Laodicea is meeting at her house. We find that a number of times in Scripture that the homes of these women are being used as the place of gathering and meeting, probably wealthier women with larger homes, and you see how God powerfully is using these women in the gospel and in its, in its movement as Paul is doing that. You see this a number of times in Scripture. It's true of the church in Rome as Paul is giving greetings. It's true of the church of Philippians. You see this on a number of occasions. And he says, after this letter is read, see to it that you also read in the church um, of the last Laodiceans, make sure that letter, this letter is read there, and that their letter is read to you. We don't have that letter. We know nothing of it. When it says, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea, is that a letter Paul wrote to them? Is that a letter they wrote to Paul? What letter are they reading? We don't know. It's likely Paul's saying, read the letter I wrote to them as well, but we don't have it. God has not determined in his sovereignty to keep that for us. And then uh, Archippus, who's mentioned here, and again in Philemon, the only thing we know of him is that he's to complete the ministry that he received from the Lord. And then often where Paul ends with the little, now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you now, he simply says, I write this greeting in my own hand, remember my chains, and then the simple words, grace be yours or be with you. And so what in these few moments can we gather from this, from these names? Some of them who you realize have played quite a role, Tychicus especially, that you may not have known of. Epaphras, who planted a couple of churches and who you may not have heard of before we got into the book of Colossians. What do we make of this? Let me make three things, just, just three simple suggestions. The first is this. The body of Christ is critical to your spiritual health. The body of Christ is critical to your spiritual health. Paul here talks about the different roles that different members are having. Some are carrying the letter, some are wrestling in prayer, some of which the church is meeting in, and each are playing different roles, and those roles are critical and they're important to the body of Christ. At James North, God has granted each of us here different gifts, different talents, different abilities, and those roles all come together to make this church, church. Those roles, those functions as part of the body all come together so that God can use us. I mean... Some have gifts of teaching, some have gifts of leadership, some have gifts of faith. Some, I'm not going to list all the gifts, but these various gifts come together. We have musicians here today, their gifts come together, those that are more tactically minded on a sound crew and, and technical crew, and all of those gifts are coming together so that we can gather now virtually and then soon prayerfully in person so that we can minister to each other. God has granted us a body so that he can use us in each other's lives. Secondly, critically important is fellowship. Fellowship is critically important. Paul talks about how much he appreciates these men. How he's thankful for them. How they're going to be able to tell you everything about him. They're going to give a full report of him. Who can give a full report of you? Who can come and say in your absence, I can give a full report of this person? Because maybe in a covenant group or a community group, because maybe even through COVID though it's been hard, you've touched base continually on the phone or FaceTime or Zoom. Who can give a full report of you? Can say, yeah, no, so-and-so's not here, but I can tell you of the work they're doing in Christ. I can tell you how they're doing in Christ. I can tell you about their family because I'm that close, I'm not connected. You see the role of fellowship being so critical here. Some of us will say, well, you know, I'm wired a bit differently. You know, stop, we're all wired for fellowship. Some of us are more extroverted in nature. Some of us more introverted in nature. Some of us prefer larger groups. Some of us prefer smaller groups. But all of us are wired for fellowship, for community. It's how God has designed us. It's not good for man to live alone. Why did God say that? because he had created humanity to live in community. It's his intended design. And when you are doubting your need for community, you're falling into the trap of the fall because the fall has distorted our humanity, which makes us feel like it's something we don't need. But who knows you enough that they could give a full report of you? We're going to gather in a few weeks and call you in person to gather in smaller groups again, and we're going to encourage you not just to gather so that we can sit around and, and chat, but to really fellowship, to dig into the Word, to dig into prayer, to be accountable with each other, to encourage each other in our faith, to pray for each other, to pray for lost people that each of us know and walk alongside of them. Many of you know that Pastor Marshall and I have been walking alongside of Closey and the, uh, the Karen Church, and the sermon I preached there last Sunday afternoon now has over 1,200 hits on Facebook Live. As they live multi-generationally in homes, we would think that's between three and 4,000 Karen, only 5,000 living in Canada, three and 4,000 Karen across Canada, across America, and into Thailand and Burma. They're listening to these messages that were translated. There's a number of factors for it. Some of it include that they don't have any ministers anywhere around the world that we know of that are trained theologically. And so this is the best theological education they're getting. But as we gathered this week with some of their young people, and as some of them have been texting me back and forth, and as so many of them have gotten lost in the Western culture, when they hear teachers say God doesn't exist, hear professors when they move on to college or university say you can't trust the Bible, hear them call the Bible dangerous, what God has said as unethical, been enslaved and trapped by other groups, cults like the Mormons, and they're lost. So many of them have abandoned the faith, and yet this is their culture, their people group, that when some of them come to faith in Christ, they're feeling lost in the midst of that group. And so this week, as we gathered, a couple of us are going to meet, a couple of females are going to meet with some of the ladies from that church who've been really struggling and longing for community, and they've just said, this is what we need. We need each other as God is working in our lives so that as God works in our lives together, God can then use us in the other lives. And I was texting a couple of the young men and saying, are you interested in this? And they said, of course we are. The one young man said, every time I went back into my friend group at the Karen Church in their early 20s, they would mock me that I wasn't smoking pot anymore. They would mock me that I wasn't getting drunk anymore. They would mock me that I wasn't sleeping with my girlfriend. They would make fun of me, and these are my friends. He says, who do I have? I said, the answer is, you have brothers and sisters at James North. We have this amazing responsibility that God has given us to walk alongside of them, to encourage them, to fellowship with them, to be part of the body of Christ there, so that they can grow and mature and be used of God in their midst. And lastly, and I'm done, critical to church health, not only is the body being used the way God intended to fellowship, but reconciliation reconciliation. You see that with Paul and John Mark. That though there had been a falling out, now there has been reconciliation. And he's saying to those that are there, when he comes, greet them. He's letting them know that though there was a falling out, that though there was a difference of opinion, that though he felt that Mark couldn't even be trusted because he had abandoned him in an earlier journey, he's now saying, make sure, make sure you're welcoming Mark. Make sure that you're there to greet him as a brother. And so reconciliation is so important. We will sin against each other. It is just a fact that as we know each other, as we connect with each other, as we walk alongside of each other, we will sin against each other. And as God calls us in those moments to offer not just apology, but true, true reconciliation when we're coming in saying, would you forgive me? I've sinned against you. Or a brother or sister comes to you asking you for forgiveness because they've sinned against you. We need to be asking for forgiveness. We need to be offering forgiveness. And as that happens, we need to be reconciled to each other. So, in Matthew 18, Jesus says, if your brother or sister has sinned against you, go to them. If they repent, you've won them over. That's it. If they, when you go to them, say, you know what, you're right, you've pointed out the sin in my life, I'm sorry, will you forgive me, you've won it over, it's done. Done. It's over. There's no more, well, whoa, 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 that was way too easy. No, it's done. And so we need to be a reconciling place. So all these list of names, I pray that you learn that Paul had some true companions with him who walked alongside of him, encouraging him in his faith and pointing him to Christ. And I pray you also see the importance of the body of Christ. We need each other. God has granted us different gifts and different tasks to be used at James North and in the kingdom beyond for his glory and good, for his glory, sorry, and for our good. That we need fellowship, we need each other, the encouragement of being together. Right now, though it may be virtually or on walks and soon gathering in person, fellowship is critical to spiritual health. And so is reconciliation. We are to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, we gather today thanking you for the way that you used the Apostle Paul and the lives of each of these people and them in his life. And we're thankful for that testimony it grants us in reminding us of the importance of the body, the importance of fellowship, and the importance of reconciliation. So God, may we live those three things out using the gifts you've granted us for your glory and honor, fellowshipping with each other so that we can encourage each other in our faith and walk with Christ, and God also reconciling with each other so that we can learn to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.